Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast is provided by WorkMarket, an ADP company. Businesses that are looking to gain visibility, automation and security in managing their extended workforce use an end-to-end platform to efficiently and compliantly identify, onboard, organise, rate and pay their freelancers, independent contractors or contingent workers. Check out workmarket.com to see how you can unlock the power of your extended workforce. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 293 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Last month, we recorded a live version of the show as part of the Recruiting Automation Conference, which was organised by recruiting tech vendor Wade and Wendy. The theme of the virtual conference was diversity and inclusion, and I was delighted to get to do another interview with recent podcast guest, Anna Shalon, Director of Recruiting and Diversity and Inclusion at Frame.io. In this conversation, Anna talks about the four-step methodology Frame.io has adopted to improve diversity and inclusion within their organisation and some of the results they've achieved. Now, I'm delighted to have Anna Shalon from Frame.io as my guest on this live edition of the show. Anna, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Of course. Um, thanks, Matt, for having me on the podcast. Um, so my name is Anna and I'm the Director of Recruiting and Diversity and Inclusion at Frame.io, which is a video collaboration platform and I'm based in New York. Fantastic stuff. Now, I know as part of your role, you've done a lot of work exploring conscious and unconscious bias. Tell us a bit about what you've learned. Um, Yeah, so I feel like I've learned a lot, uh, but I still have a lot more to learn because it's a fascinating subject. But something I've been really interested in is realizing how little we tend to question things that are presented to us as being facts but are really just stereotypes. And a simple illustration of that would be gendered colors like pink and blue. 
um, most people don't ask themselves why pink is for girls and blue is for boys because most of us were born into a society that fed us this belief and we tend to not question most things that we feel have just always been like this, right? Um, and the other reason is also because it fits nicely into our preconceived notion that boys and girls are so fundamentally different. Uh, but the reality, to continue on this specific example, is that until the 50s, there was no real gender color. And even in the 20s, in some magazines, you can see articles saying that boys should wear pink because it was more of a strong colors and uh, girls should wear blue because it's more discreet. But the idea of gender color didn't really stick until the 40s with the rise of really marketing initiatives to drive to consumption um, because it was an effective way to get parents to buy very specific things for one child and then they would have to buy it all over again if the next child was of a different gender so basically this was just a marketing initiative that was clever enough to just stick for decades and this is again a very small example but i think it shows clearly how easily we accepted as a society that i guess girls must like pink and boys must like blue even though it wasn't actually grounded in any reality and we've done that with a lot of other things. And so the real learning for me is that in order to drive change in mentalities, we have to start questioning things a lot more and really dismantle all the preconceived notions we have about entire groups of people just because of the way they were born. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great example as well. And it, it kind of really shows how, how bias shapes the, the way we think and so many things that we do. And I'd never heard that story before you sort of to told me about it. So it's interesting and terrifying um, at, the same, at the same time, basically. Diversity and inclusion is a big focus for you in your, in your role. And I know you've developed a four-step process to help organizations be better at DNI. Tell us about the first step. Yes. So yeah, I've tried to break it down into four steps because there's a lot uh, about it. But um, the four steps are the first one is to conduct an audit. Then you move on to, to, to just set a baseline. The audit is important just so you set a baseline. The second step is really around uh, improving the culture to make sure it is inclusive and conducive to DNI initiatives. The third step is around hiring. Uh, for diversity. And then the last step is around measuring and reporting on progress. So the first step specifically, I talked about auditing. So it's a good place to start is just to review your current employee demographic um, to understand what's your starting point. Uh, is it fairly equal already? Do you have a huge disparity? So that's really helpful. And then uh, it's also helpful to take a pulse within your employees. So sending them a survey uh, can be helpful. If you think people will be honest, uh, you can talk to them directly. Uh, but to me, that's really the first step is just what are you starting with? And where do you move on to from, from there? Where's the, where's the, what's the second stage? So once you have kind of a baseline, then I think uh, you can start thinking about how to build an inclusive culture. And the reason I put this as a second step is I find that when talking about diversity and inclusion, I notice that a lot of people will jump straight to hiring as a first step. And in my experience, this isn't the right order because you can work really hard on building this great diverse pipeline. But if you don't have the right culture, these people will either not get hired at all, or if they do get hired, they might not stay. So I find it's important to focus on the culture first. And here are a few ideas. There's a lot you could do. Um, one is unconscious bias training. 
I think it can be really eye-opening and just raise awareness. So uh, at Framio, we do unconscious bias training for every new hire within the first three months, even if they won't be part of an interview process. Um, you could also look at creating a DNI committee. And I find it helpful because that way it can be more um, employee-led and feel more organic than if it's just like, oh, that's an HR initiative. You can think about ERG groups, so employee resource groups, depending on company size, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but uh, something as we scale. And then events, um, how do you celebrate pride? What do you do for Black History Month? And there are a lot, I know often people say they don't have resources, or but you can do really small things like watching a TED Talk together, even remotely, we've been doing that, and then followed by a live discussion, like what did we learn? Um, or you could host a panel with internal, just your internal employee, learn more about their experience or external. Um, and then it's really about having open, honest conversation and feedback around the office. I know it sounds broad, but I think it's really a good place to start. Um, it's really just telling each other if we have the wrong behavior. An easy example, I know when we can uh, kick off a new role and the hiring manager will refer to this potential hire as he or him when we haven't even started the hiring process, I think it's really important to call it out. And ideally, it would happen organically because we have the right culture. Um, and then it's thinking about taking a stance. Uh, with everything happening over the last few months around the Black Lives Matter movement, I've seen a lot of different reaction from company and employees will remember what stance their company took. And I think the message you send as a company is just so important, especially for the people most concerned. So um, that's really important. And then the last bit is reviewing what I call the little things because this they can seem little, but they're so meaningful to some people. And it can be anything from the bathroom science. Is it inclusive? Uh, the name of your conference rooms, uh, your Slack channels, or all of these little details. I know on our end, we're even reviewing our code base to look at the terminologies like uh, whitelist and blacklist or words like master and trying to really remove that. Um, the takeaway here for me is that building an inclusive environment is really a succession of little things, actually, and messages that makes it clear that everyone belongs and that everyone at the company has equal opportunity to succeed. And it can be done at little to no cost, honestly, by just being thoughtful, being curious, um, and taking steps to really understand the experience that employees from all backgrounds have at your company specifically and in the workplace overall. Before we sort of go on to the the next stage, there's just so many things that I want to follow up and ask you about. I'll ask you about there, but we are operating under a time constraint. So I'll just pick up on one thing, which was you mentioned unconscious bias training. Talk us through that. What have you done? What does that mean? What does that look like? What does it achieve? So we've built the program um, in-house. Uh, we try and make it really interactive. So we go just go through a deck. So I'm like, funny exercise uh like for example we just give this example of um if there's a bat and a ball equals dollar and 10 cents you know that the bat equals a dollar more than the ball how much does the ball cost most people if you don't think will come up with 10 cents which is the wrong answer and so just going through this exercise shows how the unconscious mind works not as it relates to people but just getting awareness of how our mind works to make those quick snap judgment uh, that could be wrong. So we try and just have those moments of 
oh, wait, I didn't know that. Or that's funny, or um, which I think are really helpful. And then we encourage people, which uh, anyone listening, encourage to take the Harvard implicit bias test online. It doesn't take a long time. Most people will feel like they're awful humans after taking the test. Um, but I think it's really eye-opening because, again, it just confirms that we all have biases because that's just impossible to not have any. Uh, and there shouldn't be any judgment attached to it. I think that's an important factor is removing the shame from, oh, I'm not biased um, because it can feel like an attack versus recognizing, no, I probably am biased because I'm human. But what can I do about it? I think that's a lot more productive. So moving on to the, the next stage in your process, which was recruiting, I think. Talk us through that. Yeah. So once hopefully you have an inclusive culture, then you can think about hiring. So I think it starts with employer brand. So to actually be able to attract diverse talent. And that goes from really everything. The pictures you post on social media, the language you use, the employees you feature, and then really thinking about your job description. Um, I still often see words like ninja or rock star, uh, which are really gender coded. And so I recommend removing that. I personally also feel strongly that college degree should almost never be a requirement. So I push to remove this from all of our job description. Um, and then to increase diversity in referrals, that's a question I often get uh, thinking like, how if you don't have diversity, how do you have more diversity in referrals? And for that, I would say something as simple as reminding your employees how much you care about diversity can be enough. I find that just saying like, hey, as you're referring people in your network, try and think of people who don't look like you. And that's sometimes just enough. Um, and then the interview process, that's very important. So it's critical to have a diverse interview panel if you want, first of all, to remove bias and second, to attract this diverse talent. It's not really exciting as a woman, and it's happened to me before, in technology to interview with an all-male panel. Um, so I think that's really important. That's the minimum rule, I would say, is never an all-male panel and hopefully more diversity for that. Um, and I also recommend having really structured interview process to avoid this cold gut feeling, which tends to uh, result in, do I like this person versus do they have the right skills? So trying to be structured. And the last bit of that would be, um, I still often hear culture fit. And I would really recommend thinking about culture add, because when we think about culture fit, we think, how is this person fitting with our existing culture, which actually hurts diversity. We tend to be like, uh, is this person the same versus culture add is, what is this person bringing in that we don't already have a new perspective, a new background, which is a lot more valuable to a business, honestly. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. So talk us through the, the final stage. It was the review stage. Right. So once you've done all of this, it's helpful to know uh, how are you doing? Are you making improvement? Are you not? And then communicating is really important, I think. So um, the first step is probably to actually set goals. And for that, I highly recommend setting those goals at the company level with leadership buy-in because it makes it so much more effective. Um, and then reporting on progress. So I like to share quarterly DNI reports around representation per gender per level. And I share it with the whole company, not just a specific group of people. So that way there's full transparency. This is what how we were last quarter. This is how we are this quarter, uh, which I think people really appreciate. Um, I also report on a yearly basis on salary increases and promotion per gender. 
what was percentage of men promoted, percentage of women promoted to track that we have equality. Um, for the most part, we tend to improve, but sometimes results might go down. It's, it's difficult and it's not always comfortable to report on it, but I think people still appreciate the transparency and it also helps keeps all of us accountable. Uh, and then the last piece you want to track is how are your employee feeling actually? Um, so thinking about the survey results around DNI, is it increasing, decreasing? What are the trends? Talking to employees, making sure they feel like this is the right environment. Because as I mentioned, that's really the key to success. Even more than hiring is first the right uh, environment. So I know it was a lot of information with these four steps, but um, that's how I like to think about it in terms of the cadence for how to roll out DNI initiatives if you don't already have some. And then if you've already have some steps, maybe you can focus on the other steps. Final question to you. Talk us through the successes you've had at Frame.io in terms of Im improving diversity and inclusion. Yeah, so we still have a lot more work to do, of course, uh, but we've seen some encouraging trends. So just to give you some specific numbers from February 2019 to July 2020, we increased the percentage of women in management from 19% to 47%, which is really great to see to be almost at 50 50. Um, and in our most recent survey results, our DNI questions were actually some of the most highly rated questions of the survey. Um, for example, one of the questions is around if people think we have an inclusive uh, culture and we receive 94%, which is obviously really high. So again, we still have a lot more work to do, especially uh, the higher up you get, the less diversity you have. So that's probably our top focus at the moment. So we keep setting ambitious goals at the um, leadership company level and then try and make tangible progress that we can report on and stay accountable. I can see one question in the comments, which was about removing the education requirement. Could you could you speak to that? Yeah, so I uh, read a lot about this. Actually, something I've talked about with my CEO when I, I first joined, uh, he didn't go to college uh, and started and built this pretty great company. Uh, and so... I was just thinking of uh, narrowing the requirements because we know the more requirements we have, the less diversity of application you have because men tend to apply for roles when they meet 30 to 60%, depending on studies of the requirements and women, 100%. So the more requirements you have, the less women you'll have. It's pretty straightforward. So I was trying to pick apart um, and started seeing a college degree and I was thinking, does it really matter? And thinking of the people we had in the company who didn't go to college, who were self-taught, maybe went to a boot camp and realizing, uh, read more about it, there's no real pattern that shows that college degree is any predictor of success. Even some companies have specific college degree requirement with looking at top schools. And, and there's, again, no predictor of success. There's a great book I recommend called Grit. Um, and it's just really thinking about the attribute of the person instead of what background they have, uh, because again, not everyone can afford to go to college, but they might, they could still be very sharp and capable and um, good hire. And that is a fantastic book. I read it a few months ago and it's well worth a read. I think, unfortunately, that is us out of time. So thank you very much, Anna, for, I should say, coming on the show. I suppose you are on the show and in the conference at the same time. Thank you very much for sharing all that stuff with everyone who's come in. If you're interested in subscribing to the podcast, you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And a final thank you to everyone who's come along to listen to us and enjoy the rest of the, the, rest of the conference. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, Matt. 
my thanks to Anna. And also my thanks to Wade and Wendy for letting us be part of the Recruiting Automation Conference. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow us on Instagram. You can find the show by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search through all the past episodes at www.recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the podcast. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.